Support for WFIU News comes from the IU Alumni Association, now offering IU Proud, a member program designed for recent graduates and those facing economic hardship. More information at alumni.iu.edu join. Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber Internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, providing financial support to the community for 55 years, promoting healthier lives and the advancement of future health care in our region, working together for a healthier tomorrow. More at bloomhf.org. And from Estate and Downsizing Specialists, LLC, offering complete turnkey services for estate and downsizing clients, from initial consultation through home cleanout to final real estate and personal property sales. More at edsindiana.com. Welcome to Noon Edition on WFIU. I'm your host, Bob Zaltzberg, along with co-host Sarah Whitmire. Today we're going to talk about the Monroe Convention Center and its plans for expansion and all the issues that are connected, connected to that potential expansion. We have three guests with us. Mike McAfee is Executive Director of Visit Bloomington. Eric Spoonmore is the President of the Greater Bloomington Chamber of Commerce. And Penny Givens is a Monroe County Commissioner. If you have questions or comments, you can send them to us, news at indianapublicmedia.org. You can also follow us on Twitter and send us questions there. That's at Noon Edition. You can call us at 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or toll free at 877-285-9348 if you have any questions. Well, it's good to have you guys back here in the studio. And Penny, it's good to have you on Zoom today. I want to let Mike McAfee start the show because uh, Mike has been here 15 years now, he told me, and he's been he's, – he knows the history of the convention center and the plans for an expansion. So I'll, can you sort of set the stage for us? Sure. Thank you. Thanks for having me, first of all, to Bob and Sarah, and, and thanks to Penny and Eric for, for being on with me. I just want to um, say that and, and also thank all the, the great people who have been working on this project for – 20 years, the, the expansion of this project for 20 years, and, and that make Monroe County a, the incredible destination it is. I feel fortunate to be talking about this as an opportunity for growth. It isn't something, it's, it's an opportunity for growth, so um, we really appreciate that. But yes, uh, hey, Herman Wells and Bill Cook, um, the convention center came about as a com- from a conversation between those two gentlemen in the 70s, and uh, um, the, the convention center, the, the current they they bought the the old um, car dealership Tom, Tom right, right, right. Um, yeah. in uh, and they built the convention center in 1990 and um, slowly but surely built that up uh, to do an, to to be in a regional conference destination um, you know Big Ten stuff obviously Indiana associations Great Lakes things you know all over the Midwest from from Chicago to Louisville to Cincinnati and St. Louis everywhere in between we are a, a rubber tire market of, of people coming to this destination for for meetings and business and, and all that type of stuff um, so things went really things went really well and what they did was, in 1977, the innkeeper's tax was created, 3%. In 1990, they increased it from 3 to 5 and they used that extra 2% to build and fund the convention center. And that innkeeper's tax is 5% on anybody who stays in, in an overnight in a hotel. For less than 30 days. Okay. Hotel, Airbnb, you know, guest house, cabin, things like that. Um, it'll, it'll bring in a little over $2 million this year. Um, you know, again, we're a, we are, as you know, Bloomington and Monroe County are uh, we are a weekend destination this weekend. Football, balloon festival, the Blackie Brown Festival. There's probably 25 concerts going on in the community. All kinds of stuff. Um, we're not trying to create more business on weekends. Our place to grow is weekdays, and, and we have this opportunity here. So, in um, again, built in 1990, in. Uh, in 2004 is the first feasibility study we did on the possibility of expansion of expanding because the demand um, dictated that we needed to do that. We've done five of those. Um, kept going, kept going. In, two, in, in 2010, 
when the, the, the debt on that building was retired, the Monroe County Convention and Visitors Commission took the money that they were spending on to retire that debt on the, the convention center building and purchased two parcels of land around the convention center for future expansion. And we've continued to work on it ever since. But really, this expansion effort started in, in 2004, and we're still working on it 18 years later to try and get it done. As you, as you know, in um, 2010 or 2011, uh, the enabling legislation for the food and beverage tax to fund this expansion was created. There are 33 food and beverage taxes in the state of Indiana. They're all um, they're tourism, economic development tools. Many of them are used just for projects like this or different types of developments within tourism. It's just a common tool in the state of Indiana. We're lucky to have it. Um, so, we, so we've got this funding source to do this. But um, again, we just we're, the, the, the building is fantastic. It hosts four to 500 events a year. Many, many of those are local events, which is great, but many of them are bringing out-of-town groups and, and generate that innkeeper's tax that pays for all that, pays for it and that type of stuff. But we're really at a point where demand is just dictating that we we need more space. We, we can we can host a group of about 250 in that building. And first of all, i got to give a shout-out to Talisha Kopik and the whole crew over there. I mean, I don't run the convention center. We help market it. They do such a great job, and, and it's amazing, and, and to the county for all they've done and invested in that. But we have an opportunity. Um, to, we, we'd, we'd like to expand it. We're not trying to be Indianapolis. We're not trying. If, if we were talking about building hundreds of thousands of square feet of new space, I wouldn't be wanting to do that. But we're talking about demand is, is, is really telling us what we need to do here. And we want to be able to host, we can host a group of 250 comfortably in there that break out spaces, meals, different things like that. We have the, the demand to host groups of 500 or two groups of 250 at the same time while also having a large banquets, you know, for the, the chambers, large banquets and things like that. So it's just a matter of demand and, and meeting demand that exists. And, and I realize the pandemic is, is still on people's minds and, and they're concerned about the, the future of that. But the demand is here for us. We're, we're not trying to, to, to become something that, that, the, that is not there and the groups aren't wanting to come here already and haven't been wanting to come here for, for 20 years. I want to ask, I want to switch gears a little bit and ask Penny about the, the structure now because, you know, one of the things we're going to talk about is the city's plan and, and that they're trying to negotiate with the county now to take over um, but what's the structure now? The county has um, ownership of the convention center. Is that how how it operates, Penny? It's talked about, you know, that we have a board that oversees sort of the debt, uh, but non, but in reality, yes, this is owned by the, the county. Okay. And how would how would you like to see this move forward? Well, or would you? <laughs> well, yeah. Um, well, there are a lot of questions, you know, right now. We we know that COVID has disrupted things, but we also don't know, um, given what the Indiana Chamber of Commerce has warned uh, about what might happen to con convention business in Indiana following the passage of Senate Bill 1. We don't know how that's going to impact us and whether it will. Um, hopefully not, but we, our crystal bubbles aren't, aren't quite clear. They're a little cloudy, I'll put it that way. Uh, but yeah, we, we are still in favor of moving forward with um, a CIB on this. Um, and we've, we've said that publicly many times. Um, I have yet, even though I've asked uh, multiple times, I have yet to see the city's proposal in writing from the city. So um, it's hard to respond to something when you haven't gotten stuff in writing. The CIB is a capital improvement board, correct? Yes. Okay. Yes, I'm sorry. And, that, and that's okay. And how would that um, operate then? Who would who would be members? Well, yeah, but the way we had agreed, well, we'd gotten close to agreement, I'll put it that way, um, before the pandemic slowed us down, um, it would be that there would be seven members total on that board, three appointed by the county, three appointed by the city of Bloomington, and then those six individuals would appoint a seventh individual was the way we had way we envisioned it from the county side okay now eric from the chamber's perspective a couple things um 
one, you can respond to to Penny's concerns about what the state chamber has said about convention business. But the second thing is, has the chamber come out in favor of the city's plan, or have you? I know that you've you've been vocal about this. Yeah, um, with regard to the state chamber of commerce, I'm I have not seen what their guidance is on that. Um, you know, we here locally are not um, particularly concerned about the the impact of Senate Bill One on um, uh, Indiana organizations wanting to come to Bloomington to have their conferences and uh, and so forth. So. Uh, but but I'll, I'll definitely research that and and uh, take that into consideration. Um, you know the the chamber is not taking a position one way or the other on how we move forward. Our position is we just want to see meaningful progress. Uh, status quo um, cannot be an option, and so we have not um, seen much movement. Obviously, the pandemic um, caused some disruptions to the negotiations and the conversations that were taking place, but. Um, we thought uh, in conversations that I was having with uh, county officials and conversations that I was having with city officials, uh, this was a new idea. And I think everyone thought and believed that, it, you know, at some point we just have to inject some new ideas into this, get people talking about it again. And so um, uh, when, the, when the city had come up with the plan to uh, essentially acquire the assets of the convention center and move forward, we thought... That may be a, a quick pathway to get to a good outcome here, but uh, we're really neutral on whatever the governance structure is that uh, takes place. We just want this to happen fast. Uh, we want there to be meaningful progress. Uh, we want the local elected officials who all agreed back in 2017 to partner on this together to deliver on those promises to the public that they made that we would have an expanded convention center, a world-class convention center that will draw more visitors into our community, support our businesses, provide opportunities for more entrepreneurial endeavors here in the community, uh, and bring those dollars in, which is a real economic development boon that uh, the chamber believes will happen. The other thing, too, is we've got to do this fast because we've got to preserve the food and beverage tax funding mechanism that is going to pay for this. There's two two organizations, two entities that could uh, put that food and beverage tax uh, uh, to rest permanently. One of them is the county council because they established it. They can uh, withdraw it. The other is the Indiana General Assembly. We're in the Indiana General Assembly's crosshairs. We were last year. I think everybody that I've talked to on the county council is very much in favor of seeing this expansion take place. So the last thing they would want to see is the food and beverage tax go away. Uh, and that's why we need the commissioners and the mayor and the city council and the county council all working together to achieve this shared community goal that we want to see uh, uh, happen here as soon as possible before that food and beverage tax could be in jeopardy from the state uh, legislature here in the next session. I, I might say we don't have a representative from the city here today if, uh, you know, if Deputy Mayor Don Griffin or if uh, Mayor Hamilton was to call in, they certainly can. I know that we had talked about getting a city council member, but they have a meeting today from 11 to 2 on some other issues. And so, um, so that's why we don't have a city representative. So, Penny, I, I want to follow up with you about the food and beverage tax because I'm, I, I would imagine you've gotten questions from taxpayers. How has that money been spent since there doesn't seem to be progress on the convention center, but we've been paying this tax? Well, um, the tax is, is split in terms of who receives it. The city receives a little over 90% of it because over 90% of the, the restaurants and the, the prepared food venues are within the city limits. The rest of it goes to um, Monroe County coffers. And during COVID, the commissioners used our food and beverage tax money uh, to provide grants to, to keep businesses afloat. Um, we, we knew the pandemic was going to be hard on everybody. And um, we wanted to make sure that our, our tourism businesses were still in business when we all emerged from this. And so we have actually used ours to, to that end, to keep people you know, in business, to keep employees going, those kinds of things. And we, we've heard from people that they were very, very happy about that. Um, we also 
Uh, at this point, the city is just mostly sitting on theirs. I, they used some of theirs to provide loans, I believe, out to businesses, again, to keep them going. And for us, it was businesses related to the tourism industry specifically. Um, so, yes, the, the city is sitting on something like $14 million, which I would think would push them harder to come to some agreement. Um, and we weren't trying to disrupt things when we said, let's just continue with where we were. Wasn't, was, was there an agreement before the pandemic? We were close to, to an agreement with um, the kind of structure with that Capital Improvement Board or CIB that we all referenced earlier. Um, and we, we actually have sat down now um, with people from the city to discuss where, where we go next. Um, but we're, you know, we, we also um, need to, like I said earlier, have something in writing so we know exactly what the city is, is proposing. Uh, it's all come through verbal things and through, you know, it, it's hard to read about it um, in the B Square Bulletin and not have it from the city or to hear about it from other entities that are not representing, that don't represent officially um, the city. Did you have something you want to add? Yeah, I, I think just to clarify, the, the city, um, you know, when the food and beverage tax passed in 2017, they, they committed 100% to using their food and beverage tax revenues, that 90% of the revenue that's being collected for the expansion, construction of the convention center. So that's Really, uh, and I, I'm not sure how much money is sitting in that fund. I would imagine it's close to $10, 12000000 million. Um, but uh, that's why they're kind of sitting on it with the hopes that it could be deployed for um, uh, the convention center expansion plans. But I will say uh, we did have what I thought was a really constructive uh, meeting that w uh, had, was convened uh, last week uh, with the commissioners and the county council and the city council representatives and uh, the uh, city administration representatives, and it was great to hear uh, the elected leaders, you know, talking civilly about how they can move forward with the plan. And it uh, sounds like there's more of these meetings uh, in the works uh, that will be happening soon. And uh, yeah, the chamber is very interested in continuing to follow these conversations, and we'll be there. Uh, advocating and supporting the elected officials in any way that we can to achieve progress for the community. Penny, I, I want to ask you this, and I, you know, you're not responsible for um, what's happened since 2004, but since 2004, there have been fe five feasibility studies, as, as Mike McAfee said, to on expanding the convention center. Why can't we move forward on this? What's what's the holdup? Why, why is it so difficult to move forward? It's been 18 years since this, the first feasibility study. Right, and, and I'm relatively new, as you know, to mm -hmm. um, county government, and so I'm, it's not really clear to me why some of the other ones didn't move forward. Um, I, I just, I feel like I'm responsible for being involved in the current one, um, and like I said, I, I felt like we were relatively close um if I, th I think it really came down to who appointed people to this capital improvement board and how many appointments each each party had so um if we can get if we can get to that we could get this moving very quickly and i think also that um if how to say this um I think if we can show that we are moving forward on getting this CIB created, I think that that sends a signal to the state government also that we are serious about using the food and beverage tax money that's been collected. Mike, I, you know, I don't know how um, how much you want to get into this, but from your observations, I mean, what what, have, what has been the, the what have been the sticking points? Well, I think. Uh, one thing that's very telling and challenging, this is already a challenging thing to do, to, to do an expansion. You've got 500 groups using a building. You're going to displace them. You're going to do all this, this construction right downtown and, and all that stuff. But, but our legislation is quirky. The way she just said it, the, the county owns the asset. The city receives 90% of the funds. So those two have to, who's in charge, right? So 
I get it. I, I Again, I appreciate them all. I hope they work, just as Eric said, I support what Eric said about it. I hope they work out a partnership and we'll do anything we can to, to, to support them on that. But that's kind of, to me, that that sums it up. I, You know, when we, when we got the enabling legislation back in 11 or whatever year it was, um, we were coming. We were we were coming out of the reset that the big recession. The Chamber of Commerce said, "Please," told the tourism industry, "Please don't pursue um, enacting that locally. We're not ready for that. We need to get past this." We we did that. We brought it back up four or five years later. Um, again, that was pushed off. Um, just weren't the the community wasn't ready to do that. And then finally, it was put through in what late two two. Early 2018 started being collected in 18, so that's that's kind of how we got here. Eric, were you on the county council when you approved that? I was, yeah. Uh-huh. And um, you know what? Uh, and I was one of the one of the three members of the county council that voted against the food and beverage tax. And as Mike mentioned, you know the legislation was extremely quirky. And uh, you know, I'm not saying I had a crystal ball, but you know, there I, I saw some problems with that legislation, and it. It concerned me. Now, I will say that, you know, had the city uh, made, um, you know, an attractive offer for, you know, how they could acquire assets that would compensate the county reasonably, I probably would have thought much differently on how I voted. And so that was something I thought was kind of, um, you know, a a new uh, wrinkle to this uh, to this discussion that I thought could lead to progress by uh, you know the city striking a deal with the county sounds like Penny hasn't seen the proposal but from what I've read and what we've written here at uh, the state at WFIU news um, the city would basically take over the county's 10 percent of that money and there would be some money from the uh, public service local income tax was that right that would go to the county was that so the the county's portion would not be disrupted. The county would continue to collect the ten okay. percent that okay. they um, that they are now. Uh, the city had proposed uh, paying off the convention, the existing convention center debt, two and a half million dollars worth. Okay. Um, they had also proposed to transfer its share of the opioid litigation fund uh, money, which gotcha. was about one point nine million. But that would be over the course of like 20 years, mm-hmm. um, and they had uh, proposed an expansion uh, of east to west transit um, and making those investments, uh, which would be about a $2 million cost to the city uh, to get an, a new route from the east side of town out to uh, the, the west uh, employment hubs like Cook and Ivy Tech and so forth, um, and those are in county jurisdiction. Currently, that's not an option. But uh, the city was willing to uh, make some investments there. Um, trying to think if I'm missing anything well, with if, that, if but I, I think could, that's pretty. That was kind of the gist yeah. of it. Yeah, and if I could add, uh, the city was requesting um, the portion of innkeepers tax that the county is currently vest- investing in running the convention center. That so okay. part of that two percent. Okay. So that you know, wh- however that would be done through an interlocal or, or mm-hmm. whatever that would go through the Monroe County Convention and Visitors Commission that would. You know, approve that or something like that. So, thank you for clarifying all those details. I didn't have it anywhere near right. So. But I think, yeah. Well, there's there's a lot of other other things that come into play too. I mean, um, what I understand was the city was proposing that this be done with um, a 501c3 corporation, and um, which means that it wouldn't be elected officials overseeing how tax dollars are spent, first of all. Um, and it also, um, if I understand this correctly, and I, and I apologize if I didn't get it correct, but um, a 501c3 would not have the tort claim liability protection that governments have. And so that if there were suits against the entity, it could be that all of the income from the innkeepers and the food and beverage tax might be going to pay for um, those those outstanding liabilities, and so there's there's a lack of protection that goes with that, um, and we don't have any statutory requirement to report the activity except to um, the taxing, in, uh, except to like the Secretary of State and those kinds of things where 501c3s file annual reports. 
So it just takes it out of the public domain. Let me give our, our contact information again. If somebody uh, has a question or a comment, you can send them to us, news at indianapublicmedia.org. You can also send us questions um, on Twitter at Noon Edition. You can call us, 812-855-0811. So say 855-0811. You can go on the air or just leave your question with our producer and toll-free, 877-285-9348. So, Eric, I know you mentioned this meeting was recently held, and we had a reporter there who said that um, a representative from the city just said the city is no longer interested in a CIB. So... Um, I guess, I don't know from your perspective, like what are some of the issues with a CIB or what are some of the benefits of having this sort of structure? Is this the way it's done in other places? Or? Well, we heard some conflicting reports from the city uh, at that meeting. We heard from the city administration that there was not an interest to move forward with the CIB, but we heard from the city council president that she was very open to moving forward with a CIB. So we're we're hopeful, the chamber is, is that um, you know, the, the elected leaders can kind of get together and, you know, come up with a good plan that's going to be in the best interest of the community. And if that's a CIB, uh, the chamber will support that. I think there's there's been examples of CIBs around the state of Indiana that have worked and have worked very well. Um, I think uh, Commissioner Githens is absolutely right that uh, they could, at their next meeting, write legislation to enact a CIB here uh, in our community. And it's totally at their discretion uh, when and uh, when that happens. Uh, so that's um, uh, that would be a very uh, quick way to establish a governance structure. Um, so there are benefits to it. I can also see, you know, clearly uh, there have been challenges um, over the last 18 years with getting this, uh, getting this process moving forward. So I can see benefits to just having a single uh, government unit managing this process. I think, you know, it, you know, anybody from the outside looking in would say, wow, the city's probably pretty well equipped to manage this. They've got the funds. They've got, um, you know, it's, it's right within the uh, downtown boundaries. And if, uh, you know, if the commissioners were interested in uh, allowing that to happen, then that would be perfectly fine. We just want something to happen and something to happen soon. So in a place like Marion County, does Indiana does Indianapolis control the convention center, or is it something like Capital this? Improvement like a, Board. It's a CIB there yeah, too. Yeah, Fort Wayne, Capital Improvement Allen Board. Allen County. Oh, okay, mm -hmm. so in Terre most Hope, places, Capital it's a county and the city yeah. doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Terre Haute. I wanted to ask Mike. You know, Terre Haute and Columbus both seem to be moving toward their own versions of a convention center mm -hmm. and hotel space. How's that make you feel? Any competition? <laughs> I'm not worried about it at all. It's a totally different market than, than, than Bloomington is. You know, I, I say, too, going back to the, to the Senate Bill 1 stuff, I, I mean, however I feel personally about that, and, and thank you to our elected officials for over the years, we have positioned ourselves as being the most open and welcome community in the state of Indiana by far. When the RIFRA stuff happened with um, Governor Pence at the time, again, we had people contacting us. We won't, we won't even go to Indiana except for Bloomington anymore because of, because of how open you are. I mean, our, our LGBTQ efforts are award-winning. We, we've got people contacting us that want to come here because they know what the experience they're going to have in Bloomington and how welcome we are. So the, it's, it's horrible legislation, but, the, but the, actually we, we, could, we stand a chance to benefit and, and get more groups because of that because we're the only place they're going to want to go. Um, hey, good for Terre Haute. They, they, they built it. They've got a casino. They're, they're trying to get the gambling crowds. Um, Columbus is a long ways away from, from anything happening there. We are too. Hey, if Eric said if we did this next week, we're three, we'd be three-plus years away from opening our doors. So, you know, we're – we're talking events in 26, you know, that we're, that we'd be working towards. So be long. Tw 22 years from that first feasibility yeah. study. Wow. <laughs> and I, I will say with regard to Columbus and Bartholomew County, it is, you know, really refreshing to see yeah. the mayor and uh, the, the city elected officials and the county elected officials there seeming to really, you know, wanting to coordinate and, uh, and, and move in a positive, constructive uh, direction on on that overall vision and community goal that they have. So that's that's impressive. 
Columbus is, you know, they're a huge sports town. They do tons of sports business on weekends. They know, they see the opportunity to, to build a small facility and, and bring in some week, weekday groups, just, just like that. So. so, Penny, who really are the folks who need to come to the table here? As Eric mentioned, the city council, how, how are all these parties connected and who needs to reach a consensus on how to move forward? Um, all four groups, the, the, the mayor, he's not a group, sorry, but uh, the mayor needs to be there. The city council needs to approve it. The county council needs to be on board because of their oversight of, of all county monies. And then the board of commissioners, because we have to sign any contracts, which in this case would be uh, the creation of that capital improvement board. You know, one of the things that uh, Julie Thomas said or has been quoted as saying julie's not here today to speak for herself but she's been quoted as saying that she wants to she wants the the focus of her work and i and may you can speak for yourself but i assume that meant the commissioner's work to be on a new jail because that seems to be an important need for county government right now how uh, do you believe that's where the commissioners need to be focusing their time and energy well we we're we're forced into a corner on that. We, we have to focus time and energy on that. You know, we've had, the county's had a lawsuit against it. We have to show that we're making progress uh, toward bettering conditions. And if we don't, the federal government will come in and tell us how big of a facility to build, what it needs to look like, you know, in terms of what the design is. And we will lose all um, kind of I don't want to say power, but all rights to um, to to build the kind of thing that we envision. Um, that actually happened over in Terre Haute. So we have been working with um, our judicial branch, with our prosecutor, with the public defender's office, uh, with probation, with others. You know, within the county government, uh, county council as well. Um, to start to see what we need to do. And we have put in an offer on a piece of property so that we can move forward. We don't know if that will, in fact, um, be where we want to situate something. Um, we're going through a lot of stuff right now with it uh, in terms of actually having engineers and those kinds go out and look at, at things for us, core samples, that kind of stuff. Um, so, uh, yeah, we, we have to, to concentrate on that. It's not a choice for us. Yeah, that, that's a topic we probably should do a, yeah. a whole show on and bring you, <laughs> you and others from the county on. I guess I, I ask it in the context of, you know, Julie mentioned that in terms of what she thought the focus should be for for county government. Now, that would seem to maybe open the door that the city should take more of an active role in running the convention center and leading this process. Um, I, you said your one of your main fears is is liability. Is is that the key issue for you? Well, you know, with that's one of them, uh, and also just public oversight of public dollars that are collected, um, and also you know, Mike has has been at this far longer than I have, but um, Talisha Kopic and her group do an amazingly good job of running things. Um, the current board that oversees the uh, convention visitor center they all do a fabulous job um, the county's you know operated this facility in conjunction with all these groups uh, for what is it now over 20 years um i think it's maybe over 30 years 40, so 45 um, okay thanks <laughs> um, so i think that that it's not an issue of whether or not we operate it you know, properly, it's um, oversight of how things are done. So we got a question from Margaret and Mike, this is probably for you. Um, she says, given the impact of COVID-19, why is there this assumption that the expansion is good for the community or that the community still wants the expansion? I'm, I'm not assuming it. Um, you know, I, I hear from from people I work with every day that that we need to move forward with do, doing this, and we and we need the space. Uh, I my my sales rep is in Michigan right now, meeting with. He's got 40, 40 some appointments. He's at a a fraternity um, conference where, where where fraternal organizations, and he's got 40, 40 meetings with 
conference event uh, planners that that are interested in in Bloomington and Monroe County as a, as a place to come. So happens over and over and over again. Uh, um, and it's, you can talk to some of our largest members here at the Chamber of Commerce, largest employers um, uh, here in Bloomington, Monroe County, and they have real needs for more space for their training and development of employees. They're bringing people in from all over the country, and our current convention center is just not adequate for what they need to do. They don't want to go all the way down to French Lick uh, to, to host um, you know, training uh, programs for their employees, but to be able to have them here in Bloomington uh, would be a real benefit. And we've got, you know, you've got Cook, you've got Catalan, you've got Indiana University, all have space needs for these kinds of things. Um, and it's during the week. It's not on the weekends. They don't do that stuff during the weekends. And so, you know, just another example of local organizations that uh, need the space, in addition to all the external uh, organizations that we're just not able to meet the demand for. Eric, how does this, uh, I know we've, you know, we've um, talked about this a lot in the past, but how does the tourism industry or the tourism sector, how does that, what kind of impact does that have on the economy of Bloomington in general? Well, I think it's a, it's a huge impact. Um, you know, we've, uh, it was really interesting. We had um, uh, the chamber hosted a discussion uh, not too long ago about the economic impact of Lake Monroe and all of the people that come to Lake Monroe. And I think Mike's got some information on that as well. Too. It was like a $5 billion local economic impact that comes just because of Lake Monroe. And so these are visitors that are coming into our community, uh, spending their dollars, and then going home. Uh, and that's exactly what happens with a convention center. So it provides just a, you know, and it's really going to add to the vibrancy of the downtown. There's some areas there that have just, uh, you know, need some development. And we need to, to, to make that productive use of land there. Um, it's going to support the uh, nearby enterprises. There's going to be new entrepreneurial uh, opportunities for people when you have all these new crowds of people coming in, uh, they're going to have different needs. And so uh, I think it's a, a huge economic development impact that we'll have. And it's the lowest hanging fruit that we have. The hard part has been done. We've got the food and beverage tax funding mechanism in place. Now let's make progress. Mike, you've talked about this many, many times before, too. So average visitor comes to town, how much do they spend? In two, We did our last uh, study on that in 2018, so maybe you can apply some inflation, right? But a, but a business visitor spends $160 per person per day, and that's the highest expenditure. That's a little bit higher than leisure or a sporting group, but 160 per day, and that was in 2018. So I'd say it's close to probably $200 a day now. And that would be the kind of um, audience you're looking for with right. an expanded convention right. center. Right? Uh, we're talking about you know three to four hundred new people in town Sunday through Thursday during a week for two to three days at a time. Do the math. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A follow up from Margaret's question: Is there really not space available when we look at places like IU that has this amazing huge union, lots of meeting rooms? There no room to look at these other buildings. If we're going back to the conversation of, do we need this? There is. We 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 do that. We we look at them every day. We send them leads all the time for 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 conversations. I mean, they every it. We are so lucky to have Indiana University here. It's our Disney World. But again, these facilities are built for students. They're full of students and student activities and everything about that. So the union does it. We do events in the union when, again, it's almost like the stars have to align for everything to line up. The dates have to be available. The group has to be the right size, all that kind of stuff. And it just doesn't, there just aren't that many opportunities anymore for that. Yeah, and, uh, you know, particularly this time of year, um, employers with the Kelly School of Business are coming to recruit students on campus. They are so um, out of space, so much out of space over there that they do a lot of the recruiting at the convention center now. Um, that's where they have to do their uh, recruitment programs. You can go over there and see, um, you know, those um, students and uh, employers uh, set up over there this time of year in the fall uh, all the time because they just don't have the space on campus to do it. I want to go back to Penny briefly because we we have these two gentlemen sitting here in our studio who are 
pretty passionate about the need for this convention center expansion. And I, I want to make sure that I, we make sure that we have your position correct, because it sounds like you still believe in the need for a convention center expansion. It's just the mechanism and how you do it. Is that correct? Well, and, and uh, you know, I, I think that when, when we say, yeah, we've got a lot of things on our plate, we'd like to get this CIB out of the way and let it move forward and take that over. So, um, I, you know, I, I've been involved with downtown Bloomington for several years now, and I hear exactly the same numbers that, that Mike has been sharing with us today. So, no, I'm not against the expansion as it is. Um, it's just that we need to work out the how with the city. Okay. Mike, a little more detail about what uh, the county county purchased. The county, what, what do you own down there that could be expanded into? How would this expansion go? Well, there's a lot of land there that's, that's owned by both the county and the city, different than the two parcels that I'm talking about. Where it, I think it was um, a little bit less. Each parcel was less than three acres. There's the one just to the east across the street where the Napa building is, where the old Napa building was. The, that was purchased in, in 2010 as well. And then the, to the south on the west side of college going down to um, Second Street there, that that parcel was purchased as well. So those both of those sit there along with a, other land that the city already owns, some of those parking lots as well as the county. And, and I think, you know, that was, there were a couple different scenarios that they were looking at. The city has also purchased the, the, build, the, the lot to the north across Third Street there that or they have the fire department now, right? right. Yes. Or the bunger, we call it the Bunger, bunger Robinson, Robinson right? Yeah. As a as a possibility. So there's so there's all that stuff that's been, I call it banked for for this expansion. Are there developers who've been identified? There were at some point. I mean, there were projects on the books with like developers identified who were going to be attached to those projects. Have those just gone away? There was an there was an architect that had been hired during the during the the last process that that Penny talked about that had been stopped. In, in late 2019 before the pandemic start for the holidays and then we never got started again but um, there was an architect that had worked on some of those possibilities and you know again everything was just they were looking at three or four different scenarios where it could work out and, and again nothing had been finalized it was very upon. preliminary right. at that point okay mm-hmm. so um, another question from Margaret um, if IU is one of the biggest users of the convention center and wants the expansion why aren't they paying for it and why aren't they using their own property to build it on? I mean, I think you could say the same. You were talking about Cook needing the space, and like those aren't people from out of town. Like those are businesses here. So why aren't? I think they are paying for it when they use the the space. It's not just given to them for free. So, um, so that. Yeah, but I think their argument, like, why not? Why don't they just build their own space to have these? Yeah, yeah, I. Why, it, why are taxpayers footing the bill for it? I don't, I don't have an answer to that, to that question. Um, um, again, we, the, they have the union with, with that space, and they, and they use that for their, for their student-related or, or university-related stuff as much as they can. And, but there are certain things that come over there. I mean, I mean they're, just, they're just like any other client. Um, they're renting the facility and using it, and, and they want to spend as little money as possible. I, I, I think... You know, I, I think if they had, I, I've heard at times Ke- the Kelly School was was looking at the possibility of building a facility that they would use, but but nothing ever. You know, that was years ago. Nothing ever came from that. So you you know you you mentioned Cook, you mentioned um, I uh, Catalan mm-hmm. using the space. I mean, who are some of the other? What are some of the other conventions that that come to town or have expressed interest? Can you can you speak a little more about that? Oh, like I said, I I can talk about. Let's see. I mean, there's there's so many associations. Whether it's uh, you know, there, uh, local co-op groups within the within the region that come in there and use it for various things. But association business is who we spend most of our time calling on in Indianapolis. The the Indiana Association of Chiropractors is always a fun example I use. I mean, they don't come here, but that's an example of the type of group we're talking about. But but just association business, fraternal business. I mean, there's there's just tons of them. I've, I've 
you know, I've got a lost business report. I can start talking about that. But Indiana associations, Midwest associations, Ohio Valley associations, Great Lake associations, Big Ten associations, club and hobby related conferences, trade shows, exhibitions, public shows, just all kinds of non-traditional sporting events and things that we can host in there. I, I, you know, I can get into detail, you know, the, the rural electric co-op and just all kinds of stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, I, I just think it's important to talk about, like, when we're saying business coming into the convention center, mm-hmm. that it's not just IU and not just and, the Cooks right, and the Cattle right. And that's lost business. That's your lost business list? That wasn't my lost okay, business okay. list I was looking at. I, I was just looking at examples. But we've, we've lost 51 groups in the last 10 years that wanted to come here, but we didn't have the space for them, totaling about $6 million in economic impact. And kind of going back to Margaret's question, I think you know one of the big roles of government, the government serves many different roles. You know, we provide for the public welfare and safety, um, provide infrastructure. I think economic development is also one of those roles that government should be uh, playing. And uh, so that's an important role, and I think you know the tax has been uh, the elected leaders decided that this money would be used for economic development. I mean, I think when, it, when I get a snowfall in my driveway and in my house, I need a snowblower, but I don't go out and buy one. I have snow, the tax dollars pay for the snowplow to remove the snow for me. So I think, you know, the, the folks who, you know, the IUs and the cooks who want that space, they're saying, look, this is a, the government has the money to do it. There's need for it. Let's, you know, see government do their job and promote economic development. Penny, we've got about five minutes to go in the program, and I, I just want to get your perspective on on what's next in this conversation. I mean, it, it, is it just a matter of getting the four groups together and making sure that you come up with a consensus on how this is going to move forward? Well, we're, we're actually trying to um, schedule some something now. Uh, we've got a doodle poll out there to see what we can do. With, with the different groups. So, um, yeah, we, we're, we're active on this. Is the, would you say that the county's position, I know um, it came out before that the administration may have said the CIB is not what they're interested in anymore, but count, Council President uh, Sandberg, I assume, mm-hmm. said that she'd be open to that. Are the commissioners open to the to the mayor's proposal and at least and negotiating it, or is the CIB just the position that you're going to take? Well, for right right now, I think again, I have not seen the specific proposal, um, and some of the things that we've we've heard don't really fit. You know, the city can't promise a bus line that has to go through uh, Bloomington Transit. The opioid money, the city's not in a position to use it anyway, and that's that's a that's a small amount that this the county has put over $38 million into the current convention center. And so to say that the city will pay off the current debt and then give us this other thing that will trickle in, well, we, we need to, we're in the process of getting that appraisal also. So without, you know, I don't want to say more than, than that on the subject, but it's, Mm. We feel like we've been doing a pretty good job of of, of managing the the, uh, the convention center to date with the way it's set up, and so to act like we're not doing a good job and it's just kind of not where we want to move with this at this point. Okay, so gotcha. So I want to give uh, Mike uh, the next chance at you know what what do you hope happens next. I hope they form a partnership and, and can work something on, on doing this expansion. I, I think it's, as Eric said, it's low-hanging fruit. I think it's a, a win-win for, for our community. And uh, this, this building is the first, it makes the first impression on all types of visitors, whether they're here to learn or um, invest or, or um, become, end up falling in love with Bloomington and moving here and things like that. It happens all the time. So mm-hmm. I think we have a great opportunity to, 
Mm-hmm. And the chamber's position, I know you've, I mean, you've stated it. I'm going to give you a chance to summarize yeah. summarize it and, you know, how active are you going to be in trying to drive this thing? Well, we're going to continue to be very active and very vocal. Um, again, we, we just want progress. We want meaningful progress. We want it as soon as possible. We want to uh, make sure that we're preserving the funding mechanism that will allow this to happen because we really do see the uh, state legislature uh, and their next legislative session is a threat to that. And so we're, we're kind of operating on a quick timeline here. You know, the other thing, too, is um, the chamber has this mantra of better business, better community. And I think <clears throat> when we all see our elected officials coordinating uh, across county lines and city lines and, and collaborating together, and I'm not saying that people have to agree on every single thing, but... Uh, when there's challenges, I think the people who elected these folks want to see them working together, uh, want to see them coming together, solving problems, and achieving goals together. And so that's what the chamber wants to see as well, too. Um, and uh, we'll continue, like I said, we'll, we'll be there to support that uh, collaboration. Uh, we'll be there to facilitate in any way that we can if, if uh, we're of use. But uh, we will be present and vocal and um, uh, certainly look forward to continued conversations on this. Penny, just a la- last quick question. How would you characterize the relationship between the city and the county on this issue and others right now? You have an easy question. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you don't have much time. So. Care of right now. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, we, we are talking. I mean, um, I, I have I have spoken with uh, City Council President Samberg and uh, you know ask about things so so we are trying to move forward we, we sincerely are um, and so like I said if I would like to see things in writing I would like to I you know I'm not sure that uh, it protects taxpayer dollars to um, create this 501c3 given the um, liability tort claim liability protections that governments have. So there, there are a lot of, of things to be ironed out, uh, which make me hesitant to accept the mayor's proposal. All right. I want to thank you very much, Penny Givens, Monroe County Commissioner. Also joining us today, Eric Spoonmore, the president of the Greater Bloomington Chamber of Commerce, and Mike McAfee, the executive director for Visit Bloomington, a good topic, the expansion of the Monroe County Convention Center. For co-hosts Sarah Whitmire and our producers, Bunta Boutier, Kathy Knapp, and Nathan Moore, engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, providing financial support to the community for 55 years, promoting healthier lives and the advancement of future health care in our region, working together for a healthier tomorrow. More at bloomhf.org. And from Estate and Downsizing Specialists, LLC, offering complete turnkey services for estate and downsizing clients, from initial consultation through home cleanout to final real estate and personal property sales. More at edsindiana.com.